You all have heard me talk many times about my wife here on the show. You might recall that she's a yoga teacher, and I wanted to let you know that she is starting her own streaming service called Yoga with Ashlyn, A-I-S-L-I-N-N. That's how you spell it. And if you enjoy our meticulous, data-oriented approach here on Dunked On, either you or a significant other will find this to be the best streaming service there is for yoga. Unlike apparently a lot of teachers, she spends about an hour planning the sequence for each class. Why is that important? Well, it helps you get the most out of every second that you're on the mat, whether it's one of her quick 10-minute refresh classes or one of her super hardcore inversion labs. This detailed sequencing makes all the difference whether you're looking for injury prevention, getting into that really hard pose you haven't been able to master, or just getting your mind right at the end of a really hard day. She's got over 130 classes, and that library is growing at one to two classes per week. She'll even take requests from members on new classes that they like. You can search by poses, by body part if you're feeling something is tight. She's really built an impressive platform. And whether you want to get into yoga more yourself or you know someone who is really into yoga and is looking for a way to get a lot better, check out Yoga with Ashlyn. There's a free seven-day trial. You can either go to yogawithashlyn.com or there's a link to her service in the description of this podcast. That's yogawithashlyn.com, A-I-S-L-I-N-N, or just click the link in the podcast description. Ross, you are on the air. G'day guys, uh, just a question on uh, Minnesota and the Golden State pick swap. Um, which do you think Minnesota, which year do you think they'd uh, prefer to convey the pick? And then also, which year do you think Golden State would prefer the pick to convey? So certainly Minnesota would prefer that it convey next year because if it conveys next year, that means it was in the top three this year. So that that's a pretty easy question from Minnesota's standpoint, I would say. And then um, in terms of the like logistics, I think they're... they're is some part of the Timberwolves that would be okay with it convey that that would like it to convey this year just because it cleans up their books and so then they can move picks in the future and everything like that but yeah the the possibility of getting a a top three pick is there and for the Warriors generally speaking I think they would prefer to have it they would prefer to have it this year then that is an asset that is more tangible that they could convert into making something better for the 21-22 team whether it is it is that player that they select or using that in a trade with salary or whatever else um it, there is in certain circumstances an argument that like unprotected picks are incredibly juicy like there is there that it can be anything and i think there could be a little bit of undue optimism about the timberwolves like i think there it's more of an outside chance that they make the best of seven playoffs next year so i'm sure some will say hey they played well with all their guys there and i'm like yeah but their, their limitations are still present so I think that the difference between the two is less dramatic than some may think, but Nate's still right on the incentives. Okay, well, thank thank Ross so much for the question, and let's move on to Sam. Sam, you are on the air. Hey, guys. <clears throat> I'm actually uh, about to head out, head out to uh, the Nets-Celtics uh, game. Awesome. Uh, here in Manhattan, but I was curious, and pardon me for looking looking ahead to a potential Buck series, but uh, I was curious, who do you see mat- matchup-wise, who, who the Nets would put on Giannis, who would be on Holiday, and who would be on Middleton, let's say, for the closing minutes? Not obviously. In the flow of the game, obviously, it can change, but uh, in crunch time. Yeah, that, they don't really have anyone good for Giannis. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I mean, 
they'll try they'll try Jeff Green. I mean, that would probably be it. I mean, I think they would just kind of be counting on their ability to get Brooke Lopez off the floor, maybe in that circumstance. I'm sure they'll try Nick Claxton. I'm sure they'll try Blake Griffin. Maybe they would even try DeAndre Jordan, although I think that would really limit them offensively some to not have a five out. But no, they don't really, you know, you could go with like Bruce Brown to just try to annoy him and like not let him get the ball and stuff. Uh, But, you know, Brown will probably need to guard Holiday or Middleton if he's even going to be in the game. So no, they don't have great options. I think they're just going to try to get to a point where they can force them to go one-on-one and get appropriate help and hope that they miss some threes and then uh, outscore them on the other end. Yeah, no real no real argument from me. I, I think they're going to try Jeff Green a fair amount, but I think that Trevor Reza's limitations guarding Giannis in the first two games of Bucks Heat are informative. Not saying Green and Ariza are the same player or the same physical tools or anything like that, but Giannis is a beast and it takes a lot to slow him down. And do you guys, sorry, one last thing. And do you guys think that um, Holiday will get the Harden matchup or the Kyrie matchup? I think he'll get the Durant matchup personally. I mean, that's uh, at least yeah. at least for at least for parts of it. We have a history of that, but it, he, I think he'll bounce all around depending on. Um, I think I think it's going to be Giannis on on Kitty, particularly after Giannis has been the one guarding Jimmy Butler in this series. I think it's going to be Giannis on KD because also then then who does Giannis guard, Danny? If I mean you put him on Joe Harris, like that's kind of a waste. So yeah, I guess that's good. if they're going to play him with when they play him with Brooke, that's true. I think that they kind of yeah, can't and do I think Giannis else. is their best chance of. I think really bothering KD. Uh, now, I think KD is probably going to need to work and pick and roll more than in ISO uh, if he's guarded by Giannis. And then I think I would actually put a holiday on Kyrie and just kind of go the, you know, I mean, it depends. I think they just go kind of the James, same philosophy against Harden that they tried against him when he was in Houston where they try to make him drive. But Harden's floater is better. This Nets team is much better shooters with much better, with uh, much greater threats to move the ball uh, if Harden is double teamed. So I don't know how well that's going to work, but I think of the three guys, I actually think Harden is the worst ISO player. So probably you go Middleton on Harden. I think that's what I would do. I don't know what the opposite of damning with faint praise is, but it's probably that Harden is the worst isolation player of those three. (laughs) Well, thanks, Sam, for the questions. And we will move on to Cameron. Cameron, you are on the air. So I was watching the Knicks game and I was very angry (laughs) at the scheme against Trey Young, which um, was just basically a simple drop coverage, um, I I assume is what that was. Um, And my question is like, it doesn't really matter who's guarding Trey Young if they're going to just play a drop coverage because they really just put a body on Alfred Payton or Derrick Rose and he was freed up and he was making all the floaters. So what do you guys think they should do to counteract that? Should they go under for God's sakes for once and maybe hope he takes a three? Um, because it was just so frustrating to see them consistently just throw a body on, on Derrick Rose and he would just go downhill. There was no big to contain him. An easy floater. I'd like to see him change up. Uh, certainly, I would try going under. Actually, and Trey has not been wanting to shoot the three uh, on the move that much this year. Now, if he starts hitting, then you have to change that strategy to be sure. Um, I would say if Julius Randle is involved in these screens, I might actually have him try to switch. Like, I don't know how good of a uh, 
score Trey is against switches. Now, I think he's looking a little healthier than he was at times at the end of the year. So that might not work either. But I've I always felt like Trey's biggest weakness in the playoffs was going to be beating switch guys. And Julius Randle actually is not a bad switch defender. You know, Nerlens, Taj Gibson, eh, you know, that's a little bit more concerning, perhaps. I mean, obviously, I think you can just throw some traps at him as well. They they also just like forced him to reject the screen uh and with by directing the ball using the ball handler and then forcing him kind of you know sort of like an ice coverage even when it's uh, two screens up top so certainly you got to continue to give him different looks I mean you can't let him walk into the exact same shot 10 times in a row with no pressure behind him uh I mean, I might consider also trying to get a little bit more length on Trey Young just so that you have someone who can compete, continue to get over the screen, and then just bother him a little bit more from behind. And there's a lot of things that you could try. They did not try many of them, however, in game one. Yeah, and that's why I think game two is going to be incredibly informative. It often is in series, but I think in this one, a little bit differently, Nate and I have both been so frustrated by both of these head coaches at different points in their in other tenures because they haven't been as adaptive as playoff coaches. So if the Knicks saw the film that we all saw and do more of the same, I'm going to be significantly more skeptical that they're going to make it over the finish line. But as they said, there are a lot of different approaches. I'm partial to switching. I think that forcing Trey to kind of get through size and those and, and you you try to try to make it happen. But yeah, going under can work too. That if if they do more of the same, if it's just like the same Knicks defense that we've seen for a vast majority of this year, I'm going to be deeply concerned. Yeah, also the fact that Nerlens is questionable, I think that's that's a little bit of a, a problem. I mean, and that guy who's underneath, he's got to do better in that cat and mouse game as well. Like he can't just stand right under the rim. Like sure. you got to at least make Trey think that you might be coming instead. I mean, it's just as you noted, Cameron, it's just so easy for him to just turn the corner and you know basically these are like batting practice floaters, which Trey Young is one of the best floaters shooters in the league yeah and he has opportunities to make decisions as a passer which he is yeah. wonderful at as well uh yeah i was i guess the other thing is that capella specifically is really good at um at making sure his guy doesn't have a lane to get to uh to trey on yeah. those on those floaters like he just blocked off Noel a lot of the time, and Noel had no shots. Yeah, doing that little uh, that Gortat roll. We'll see. Uh, maybe the Knicks will complain to the league, and that might get enforced a, a little bit more. Yeah, that's a, that's a good observation, Cameron. Um, should we move on here, Dave? Thanks for that, Cameron. Appreciate it. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, next question is Kadar. Kadar, you're on the on the air. You there? I think he is. Kadar, are you there? Oh, he's off. I'll, I'll if he comes back. Uh, Chris, Chris, you are on the air. Hey, Chris. How's it going? <laughs> good, good to hear from you, Chris. Thank you. Nate and Danny. Oh my God, I'm excited. I have I haven't heard your guys' uh silky tones on on the old <laughs> locker room in a minute. But my question um actually surprisingly has nothing to do with the playoffs. Um you guys are gonna get inundated with tons of questions about the playoffs. Um my question is who is the first player for both of you guys that made you fall in love with the game of basketball? But there's a caveat to this question. Not a popular player. Like, who's like a random player that made you fall in love with the game? So here's an example that I have. My example is Kyle Korver. When I was a kid, uh, my dad's from Philadelphia, and I grew up a huge Sixers fan. 
coincidentally, when I was a kid, Kyle Korver was on the Sixers. And for a while, I tried to do what Allen Iverson did as an eight-year-old. And I realized early on, I can't do this stuff. My dad was like, hey, just shoot a bunch of three-pointers and, you know, you'll make the basketball team, whatever. Like, you'll find a role on a team. So, coincidentally, Kyle Korver was right there. I was like, I want to be like that guy. So, he really made me fall in love with basketball, Mr. Kyle Korver. Great and great. So, I just want to hear from you guys. Like, who's like an obscure player that made you uh, fall in love with the game? I wouldn't say this guy is obscure, but like, holy shit that I love uh, the Fab Five growing up. Um, You know, I was 11 or 12. So, I mean, I already liked basketball. I played. I thought about it a lot. But, uh, because that would have been those two that would have been when i was in seventh grade and eighth grade the two fab five seasons but like jalen rose is probably the player that i like most tried to imitate when i played uh and i mean they did it was funny they did this feature which i i knew i noticed this myself and i was glad to have it confirmed that like he basically started the name jalen like it was there were essentially no jalens before him uh and now all these people are named jalen basically because of him and i was like i thought that name was really cool like uh my cat's name was jake but i would just like call it jalen sometimes like it was so that that's probably the guy for me even i know he's not an obscure player but i mean i also grew up up in chicago with michael jordan there too so I, it was noteworthy that i gravitated towards him e- even more probably than jordan so i as some people know i didn't grow up with the sport so it can be a little a little different for me and the two i thought of are definitely not obscure but it was not when they were at their most famous and that's i was you know I, there were a couple times that i nearly got into basketball when i was younger and they were both high-end college point guards who ended up becoming very successful NBA players, but it was their college time for me. And that was Santa Clara, Steve Nash, and Cal, Jason Kidd. And I was somebody who played soccer, who played center midfield, and like the thing that was the most analogous in basketball to what I did was being a point guard, you know, trying to make sure that everybody else was scoring, especially a pass-first one, which Kidd, you know, he had a lot, he did a lot of scoring at Cal, Nash did a little bit less. But those guys, it was just like, I was so much fun to watch. And the other guy that I had watched when I was little was Magic Johnson. And I was very like Magic Johnson, I've said that that led into, and I guess you could argue this is another one, another not remotely obscure player was high school LeBron James. Like LeBron, I didn't start falling in love with basketball until college, but I watched every LeBron James game that was on national TV because he's my age. We're the same high school class, different parts of the country. And it was amazing to see somebody who like ostensibly had certain other things that were the same as me. And he loved passing and I loved passing. And so all of those kind of were like, okay, this is the part of basketball that I really embrace. And it has been fun to see that part of basketball. I mean, it's always been present, but you know, it's having, I would say it's having a degree of a resurgence and a renaissance and then in college you could go with you know like that the first really good player who played at ucla when i was there is trevor reza so that was really and like he had the best dunk i've ever seen in person and all that but i didn't try to play like him because trevor reza is way more athletic than i could ever be um but those are a few that came to mind uh, but what about for you uh chris i mean yeah who, who is the guy that you said again sorry i can't i can't remember oh corver yeah yeah that's corver. right it was uh, it or was corver yeah i I was just, to be fair, like, I'm like six foot on a good day, and I'm like, I can't even jump over a phone book. And so I was just, you know, my dad was just like, hey, if you shoot a bunch of threes, and I just love the way, you know, truthfully, that Corver played the game. You know, he, he spaced the board, great three-point shooter, came off screens, and that was really what I tried to do, was just be that catch-and-shoot guy. Uh, I can't play defense, neither can Corver, so I was like, you know, it's a perfect fit. Uh, drinking drinking problem, Danny? Chris, uh, Chris, uh... <laughs> Yeah, um, that's what happens uh, when you're ever, when you when you only have one arm and you're Macho not thinking. Grande, right. You just haven't uh, <laughs> have been able to drink. <laughs> um, but so uh, that was just a quick a quick story that was making me think of Chris's. Um, 
early in my media career, I covered um, Anthony Tolliver's rookie year, and he used to introduce himself as Anthony Tolliver, the second most famous player who played at Creighton, which was always really funny, but now he's third, which I haven't gotten to talk to him about since it happened, because at then it was Kyle Korver, but now McDermott is more famous than him, too. I don't think there's a fourth, but... Um, uh, well, he's, he's still ahead of Justin Patton. Still ahead of Justin Patton. Sixers legend, Justin Patton. Yeah. And don't, don't be too harsh on yourself. If you're from, like, Philly proper, that Philly phone book is probably pretty big, right? Yeah, well, I'm from a small town in Colorado, which has like maybe 2,000 people in the entire county. So, oh. uh, what, what's the name of the town? Pagosa Springs, Colorado. It's about six hours. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've been there. Oh, in really? fact, I drove through Pagosa Springs in October. In fact, yeah, it's, it's on uh, the 160, right? Yeah, it's on it's on U.S. Highway 160. If you blink, you'll miss it. But yeah, that's where I was born and raised. And now, oddly enough, Nate, I'm living in your native Chicago. <laughs> what, All right, well, th- thanks for that, Chris. That, oh, Des Plaines. Yeah, that's uh, supposed to be a good hot dog place out there. Anyway, uh, thanks, Chris. I appreciate the trip down memory lane. I've been working with Masterclass now for probably four years, ever since Steph Curry's class on shooting and ball handling came out. And I still find more classes that I'm enjoying. My wife and I have actually been sitting down together and watching Gordon Ramsay's class and learning a ton about cooking technique that basically we're applying right away. More her than me, if we're being honest, because it is the NBA playoffs after all. I don't have a ton of time for cooking right now. But I'm just continually wowed by the quality of Masterclass just even when they're filming him doing the class they've got like four different cameras there they'll show you an overhead view above him of what he's doing in the pan or the bowl it's really just remarkable and really whatever you're interest is and however deep you want to go into it whether you want to just watch the videos whether you want to work through the downloadable materials as well and you can watch it on ios android we're casting it to our chromecast super easy the way to get started with them and get unlimited access to every masterclass and 15 percent off an annual membership is to go to masterclass.com capspace easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program that's masterclass.com capspace for 15 percent off masterclass don't forget that slash capspace to let them know that you came from us So it's been all over the news lately with the economy reopening that a lot of companies are looking to hire. And the last thing that you need when you don't have enough staff is to take more time than you need hiring the people that you need to run your business. That's why Indeed is the hiring partner who helps make your life easier. It's as easy as one, two, three. You post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. You get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description and you get it faster. You only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications. You can schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard, and you can immediately get quality candidates whose resumes fit your job description. They also have skills tests that you can choose from more than 130 of. On average, these tools reduce hiring time by 27%, and according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires, not candidates. Anyone can be a candidate. Sometimes there are too many candidates. You want hires. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash capspace. Easy remember slash capspace because we talk about it all the time here on the program. Get a $75 credit at indeed.com slash capspace. That's indeed.com slash capspace. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. Don't get that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Who's up at next here? Oh, uh, let's go to Jared. Jared, you're on the air. Hey guys, uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I actually had another uh, non-playoff uh, question for you. Um, 
I had a little uh, 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 post-mortem Watfo uh, for the uh, uh, Charlotte Hornets, and I was wondering if you guys thought uh, ultimately we should be encouraged or discouraged by the uh, uh, season that they had because uh, what are the fucking odds that Michael Jordan and um, Mitch Kupchak completely misinterpret uh, their season this year and go out and do something uh, crazy like uh, uh, drop a, a huge offer sheet on a on a restricted free agent like a Markinen or or trade their first round draft pick or um, sign somebody uh, uh, to a uh, completely uh, batshit crazy contract like uh, Oladipo or something like that. Well, first things first, I think that. The Hornets organization and Hornets fans should be extremely encouraged. I mean, the most important thing, you start at the top, and LaMelo Ball being a better rookie and having a brighter future. And I was a LaMelo, I was an extreme LaMelo optimist. Like he, him having a better year and a brighter future than I anticipated is huge for the franchise. Like whether he will be the best player on the title team, that that part is not yet written, but he's going to be a very good NBA player. I think that he can be the foundation of a reliable offense. And that for a, for a teenager is an unbelievable win. And Miles Bridges improved a lot and everything else. So, th- and those are the most important things. However, there is a distinct possibility, as you mentioned, that it was too positive in the sense that it gave impatient people the ammunition to be impatient. And that is always a concern. And, you know, putting bad contracts on their books is a challenge. And there are some restricted free agents in this class that if you gave them a lot of money, those contracts would be negative pretty quickly. Markkinen could definitely be one of those. So on the first part, oh, this was a a hugely, hugely successful season for the Hornets, not only far beyond them being leaked past Arlington and being watchable and Gordon Hayward being healthy, but because of that, but yeah, there is a risk that they overinterpret this. But I think one of the best things that happened for the Hornets was this just not having that many of those free agent guys and Oladipo in certain ways being hurt. That mitigates the risk that they give him a huge contract because nobody in their right mind would do that. Well, I think also they're pretty set uh, other than at center right now. They either have young prospects or uh, established starters, and they certainly could use you know another four, uh, three, four type to come in with more experience than uh, Jalen McDaniels, for example. Uh, Kelly Oubre might actually be like an okay fit on this team, depending on, on what his playing time expectations are. But then obviously center is where they really need to improve. And there isn't really that guy I think that you're going to go crazy on we talked about Rashawn Holmes as a, as a possibility you know Montrez Harrell they were rumored to be into him uh, although I don't really buy the reports that they supposedly made him an offer because they were in on the Hayward sweepstakes they wouldn't have prioritized Harrell over Hayward but Harrell has that player option and he may want to go somewhere where he's going to play more next year or they can just kind of go the easier route I it does kind of feel like Cody Zeller will be back he just seems like Mr. Hornet at this point uh if Mitchell Robinson were to actually actually become a restricted free agent i would say go after him but he's not if he becomes a restricted free agent it will be because he and the knicks have an agreement on a new contract so i highly doubt that that would be the case uh so yeah i don't i just don't see the guy out there because everyone else has looked so good right i mean they already have more guards than they know what to do with now is there a concern that they just way overpay Devonte graham and uh give rosier a huge extension uh, although they can't give him too too much um that's yeah i think there's more of a concern on doubling down on the guys who are already there rather than bringing somebody else in uh, that's new uh i mean if you're uh, jared if you were them who would you be targeting anyone that really came to mind other than who we've mentioned there yeah well 
I mean, I, in terms of positive positive things, the center position is 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 the obvious one. Uh, I guess to, to provide some clarity, I'm not necessarily a Hornets fan uh, so much as I am a, a Michael Jordan uh, hater or skeptic as an executive. <laughs> So, so I guess my uh, my my dream uh, in the in the complete negative sense would be for him to like uh, get goaded in by like Monty McNair to give up their first round pick for a uh, uh, North Carolina uh, state of North Carolina legend Marvin Bagley or something like that um, uh, to 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 play the center for him. Uh, that that would be uh, that's kind of my uh, uh, dream in the negative sense. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I think they kind of made their. They also probably recognize that they, you know, with Graham, and I'm sure the Lamelo extension is already in their thoughts. Uh, and I think also they'll just they want to just kind of let this. If I were running them, just let it sort out, see what Lamelo is really going to be. I think you know, next year should provide a good indication of whether he's really on that superstar track or not. He, he regressed obviously coming back after the wrist injury and uh, was pretty bad down the stretch of the season. So get an idea of what you have, and then uh, the season before Lamelo's big extension to kick in, maybe that's your chance to kind of make your play to get into being you know a top four type of team in the East potentially. All right, thanks, Jared, for the cool. For thanks, the, guys, for, for the call. Um, let's go to Kadar. We'll see if this if works this time. You there, Kadar? Uh, Rod, Rod noting in the chat that uh, Benoit Benjamin is the number one Creighton player. Uh, I don't know. I I, I don't remember Benoit being that good personally. He was he was like right on the cusp of me coming up. But uh, I mean, I think wasn't he like a number six overall pick in like 1989 or something like that? Like not me, though. Stacy King, but like he was he was a top ten pick in one of those drafts, and he never really was a starting center so i'm gonna go corver uh on on that one but uh solid solid reference there rod um uh, any luck uh with kadar daniel should we move on here we are trying Hello. now hey there you go hey. oh there he is we got hey, you hey Great. hey guys sorry about that uh, my apologies i'm in a basement here so i get to lose my connection but i uh what an incredible weekend of basketball we got those eight games were actually really really good really enjoy them yeah um so I, I'm a I'm a Raptors fan, and I just wanted to sort of ask about the overall the overall direction of the team. Been a fan for over 26 years. I've had you know season tickets for a long time, and you know after winning that championship, I think in the NBA you definitely need to have superstars. This team doesn't have that. So either you do that through the draft or you got to trade for them. They're never going to get as lucky as they got with Kawhi. So that's probably kind of out of the question right now, considering the, the superstars are going for five or six picks and pick swaps. Um, so what do, you, what do you think the direction of the team should be? Should they just heavily lean, lean into the tank, trade Siakam and Van Vliet and rebuild? Or do you think they should wait it out and, you know, try to get into the playoffs and have first on exits for the next four or five years? So, I mean, it's it's interesting because it, it is an ownership level decision. Like, honestly, as much as people want to say, oh, that's Masai Ujiri or whoever else. No, it's it's ownership. And the Raptors face a different challenge than most because they have a lot of players that make sense on good teams. And as you said, it can be difficult to get that to get that next player. So the way that I would do it, and we Nate and I have gotten flavors of this question before. Um, what my first thought would be is is the the most important thing to do is listen. And it's possible that if, if the if the if the asking or if the offers are high for Van Vliet, if they're high for Siakam that you could do something right away. I think that that would be worthwhile to consider. But 
the opportunity cost for Toronto of taking another year and just kind of seeing where things are, trying out, may, maybe going as far as 2022 for agency, but maybe the 20, the 22 traded line and see, see what's there. And then at that point, okay, how good a team do we have? Are there any potential trade partners that we can have? Because it's true that while one of the most common way that a trade for somebody like Siakam or Van Vliet or Ananobi would work is that you're trading good player on richer contract for younger players and draft picks. Maybe there's something available. Maybe you could, you know, that maybe they're the DeMar DeRozan to the Kawhi. I don't think that's going to happen, but you listen a little bit. Um, and you also see where their where their value goes. This was the season from hell. So if the if the if the if the return is low, I wouldn't make a move right away. Well, so much depends, obviously, on what happens in the lottery. If they get into the top four, uh, as opposed to picking, you know, eighth or ninth or something, uh, that really could change the franchise uh, as well. What happens with Kyle Lowry could change the franchise. I mean, they basically got four guys here that matter going forward which is van vliet ananobi siakam and trent jr and so certainly you would look if you let's say you don't get any lottery luck and lowry ends up leaving or you sign and trade him for a second rounder or something or or maybe a first rounder if you get if you're going to take back some negative salary in exchange for him that's you know that doesn't change your franchise either way and so then yeah maybe there isn't really a path at that point i think you would absolutely have to explore what you could get for fred van vliet and og ananobi and Pascal Siakam you know if you can get two first round picks for OG Ananobi and uh you know two first round picks for Fred Van Vliet you know I think you would have to think very seriously about doing something like that uh and Pascal perhaps less so because uh, his contract is he's probably a little overpaid right now but he might be able to be exchanged for a worse contract and pick up a draft pick that way as well right like how how much would Cleveland love to exchange Kevin Love for him for example but yeah I think so much depends uh, on the draft pick and who's available I mean now could you and this roster as we saw with Kawhi would be awesome if they could just get a star in here they've got everything else like they're kind of they're almost like a better version of the Spurs at this time uh, where with all these great kind of role players who would fit around a star so well uh so that's I mean we, we've it's no coincidence that pretty much every single one of these locker rooms that we've done someone has asked us about what the hell should Toronto do because it's a very difficult problem and for especially for a good organization like this but I did think that Masai's quotes about just like the play-in being bullshit and not caring about that i i did i did enjoy those and so that makes me think that they're gonna they're gonna be aggressive in some form or fashion assuming he returns which it seems like he's probably going to yeah i i, I sort of think the same way as well because i mean it, all these efforts all he ever really talks about is winning and winning to him is really a priority and he doesn't necessarily care about being in the middle so that's a really great thing to hear from somebody who's running your team to feel that way and to right. just not have a mediocre team another question that i had is just Regarding the draft, if you guys know anything about it, or if you've done your, you know, your sort of due diligence, who do you think is available within that top 10? You know, I I will preface by saying that we haven't really done any research on that other than just, you know, kind of a cursory knowledge of what these guys are supposed to be. Uh, but actually, maybe we can close with this, Carl. Yeah. I just want to ask you a question because you've been such a Raptors fan for such a long time. I mean, just in terms of like your own personal fandom, I mean, would you enjoy watching, you know, maybe a ceiling of a season like last year, the 2020 season, and this group with guys you, you know, really enjoyed watching the organization develop, kind of scrap and claw, but probably be a first round exit most year? Would you enjoy that or would you rather that they just go for the rebuild? and maybe move well i mean guys. i guess being a history like a historian at the game i really love the game i've been watching it since, you know 
for a really long time, especially starting off with the Houston Rockets and Akeem Olajuwon. That's how I started watching. So for me, if you're not if you're not yeah. a contender, if you're not a true contender, just getting to the second round it just doesn't do anything for me. So I enjoy teams that basically build from the ground up. And if we can if we can figure out a way to trade these guys and try to get some lottery picks, I think that would probably be the better way to go because you're getting another Kawhi is just a one in a one million shot. It's just not going to happen again. So I, that's where I would do. Yeah, no, and, and I think it's funny. I think a lot of fans feel similarly. And, you know, okay, maybe if you're in Sacramento and you haven't even made the playoffs in 15 years, maybe you feel differently. But I think, uh, and, you know, Oklahoma City and I think now Toronto, like they have that equity with their fan base to do a rebuild where the fan base is not going to get too impatient. Uh, so I, I think that's really great to have. Uh, let's bring in a, another request here, Danny. Well, actually, let's let's oh. do this question quickly from, from Nick Amaral in the discussion. Okay. Um, what is a better option for the Cavs? Trading Colin Sexton to get a more suitable shooting guard or drafting a defensive prospect and loading the front court with defense to counter Sexland. And my answer is if the goal is for the Cavs to be a really good team, like if we're talking conference finals or better, I don't think you can get enough front court defense to have it where you expect that team to be there. And also, I don't think that to use a, to use the phrase, like I think the juice is worth the squeeze with Garland and Sexton collectively. Individually, maybe one of them can get there. So you might want another front court guy anyway, but in, we're not talking about Luka Doncic or Harden or one of these players, you know, like somebody who passes, you know, who him alone, you think this guy on your team, you're going to have a really good offense. And then, then you can throw a lot at defense and see what you're going to see, what's going to work. But my opinion, and I'm interested to see if you agree is that instead the choice should probably be if that's your goal. And maybe they just want to make the playoffs be one of those type of teams. And then you could think about it differently would be to pick one of the two. If you, as a, your starter and closer primarily, and think of it, think of them as the focus rather than both of them collectively. Yeah, I don't, I don't have much to add uh, on that. I mean, the Cavs, I'm kind of hoping that they get some lottery luck because they're just, they're a team without much hope right now. And I, I don't, I don't like it when there are teams like that where I'm just like, man, I just don't really enjoy having the responsibility of like turning this team on and watching them because there's just not that much excitement. And that's, I mean, that's not even that I think they've made terrible picks at the, the spots that they've been necessarily in the lottery the last three years. It's just that they, uh, you know, they haven't gotten that luck, right? They are the counterpoint to Memphis and New Orleans about these new lottery odds. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And also because they have so little financial flexibility. Like that's the other the other challenge for the Cavs and Kevin Love's extension is a part of that, but also a lot of the other stuff they have on their book. So we'll have to see. Um, let's go to Evan. Evan, you were on the air. Hey guys, how's it going? Good, how are you? Not too bad, coming all the way from Ireland. Uh, awesome. Big fans, big fans of the show. Uh, just another question there, um, not uh, playoff related, just about the oper- or the prospect of the mid-season tournament. Do you see it fabricating or is that just another pipe dream for the commissioner? Uh, you know, I mean, I think he, the, he's got some equity now with the success of the play-in. The mid-season tournament, like, I don't think, uh, I mean, I, Danny and I talked about this pretty extensively on Dunktown Prime last night, but... But, you know, it kind of it's a Band-Aid fix to the problem that the regular season is kind of meaningless and that there are too many games already. So you just need to give people a reason to pay attention during the season. Um, You know, I, I mean, I've just having grown up with, OK, there's only one champion. I try to be open minded about that it, the way it, in European soccer. Right. If you win your domestic cup, for example, like that's part of a team's legacy. That's part of a you know, it's another way for your team to prove that it could be like one of the greatest of all time. Like you win that tournament and you win the championship. Like, does that. All right 
right, maybe that means a little bit more than if you won the championship, right? But I mean, the biggest thing, I would say, Danny, I know you're not, a, you're probably more of a skeptic on this than I am, but I thought, and I thought the play in kind of crystallized this for me too. If the teams play really hard and treat it like it matters and you're going to play somebody 43 minutes in the final game or something like that and you treat it like it's a one game thing and it really matters and it's almost like kind of like a practice playoffs for some teams like if the teams treat it like it matters i will treat it like it matters right like it is because if you beat someone like part of the reason the regular season sucks is that not everyone is trying as hard as they can to win that individual game and yeah. i mean th they are within the the uh parameters of okay we don't want to play these guys too many minutes over the course of the season and we got another game tomorrow and blah blah i mean you know they're trying to win within that they're tr but you're trying to maximize how well you do over the course of a season and then in the playoffs and that the dominant strategy is to not maximize every single game unless you're like trying for the eighth seed or something so if this is like hey you are winning basketball played at the highest level these teams are desperately trying to win and it's the most talented players yeah i'll give you some meaning to that you won that tournament yeah that means something to me the other, like, another wrinkle that I've been thinking about a little bit, um, analogizing again to European soccer, is that the way some organizations, as I understand it, and I, I could be wrong on this, and Evan or anybody else can correct me on this, is that some organizations use, let's say, the FA Cup for, for English soccer. They use that as an opportunity to try to maybe try out some of their younger players or something else, and that would actually be a fascinating way for this midseason tournament to work, would be if, like, it was understood, probably not explicit, that players over 27 did not participate. That would be fascinating to me. And then so you could see certain teams, like that would change the power dynamics. It would give a very, uh, it would give some different incentives involved in it. But Nate's general proxy of if the, if the players and the teams care, then I'll care. That's how it is for me. And also like, I don't know that you're in Nate and I, we're basketball, we're basketball starved people. Great. We love it and everything like that. If we're not enthused about this possibility, I'm guessing that people who are far more casual than us probably won't be either. And it's not exactly the easiest sell. Um, unless you can guarantee certain other things, whereas the play-in actually is a far easier pitch because everybody knows what the playoffs are. And so yeah. it, it's to get in. And so if it's like, oh, okay, you're giving this, you're giving this, like you can even say that like to an, ex to an extreme of like Americans from what I call, recall, don't particularly care about like the FIBA tournament. It's not the Olympics. It's not the World Cup. It's like, you know, they've tried to brand it as the World Cup, but it's like, usually you kind of need something. And that's, you know, there's international play and everything else. So I... I, I'm skeptical that either the players or the fans will be on board at first, but there is there are ways that it could happen. Um, what, yeah, what do you like think, Evan? Are you are you right. uh, would you be excited about it? I mean, you, you may, I'm guessing maybe have more of a European sports mindset. Yeah, like I like the idea of the fringe players, uh, like the under 27s would be a good prospect. I it definitely in the UK and like our, any European Cup, usually the bigger teams would play their fringe players and. Um, I suppose it gives you an opportunity to see players you wouldn't normally see. Um, like even this year now, like to see Terence Mann, no one expected that coming out of the Clippers this year, and it was great to see him. And imagine the opportunity he'd have if there was a mid-season tournament. He, you know, he might have more of a prominent role in the in the lineup um, if that was. So yeah, I, I get what you mean. I suppose there's also an incentive that if you win the cup in England, you qualify for Europe, which is a big incentive for teams who wouldn't usually qualify through the league. So there's yeah. also that aspect. If if you know if they could have incentivized for in, for players inside uh, the league in the NBA um yeah it's just interesting i just it'd be interesting to see how it plays out well i guess the the other concern too is you still have this problem that there are too many games and so yeah, yeah. i i would 
if you could have way fewer games and like yes everything else is going to stop and we're going to only do this for two weeks yeah sure if it's okay we'll take a one week break during the season and you got to get four games during that week and oh yeah you also got a, a game on tuesday right after that too then like teams won't be able to take it seriously again like the, that's the whole problem there are too many games teams can't uh go there all, go all out in every game and it's just like you can't in football and that's that's what is such a bummer about it that like i want to see teams yeah. doing everything they can to win and so you just uh my number one thing would be hey just have fewer games and then uh then you'd be fine you wouldn't need the midseason tournament but hilariously the midseason tournament would also work better if you had fewer games yep definitely yeah no cheers last take my question um the clippers don't tip off until um half three here in the morning wow time. so i'll be waiting a while before I, I get to watch them but uh thanks lads and uh I'll keep listening yeah get, get some sleep while you can um, we can do a quick reaction, uh, Shams Trania, while we've been doing this uh, reporting that Julius Randle has been chosen as the league's most improved player. Oh, I voted for him. Actually, I, I did didn't, not, but I, I had. But I, I, you know, I, I, I had Randle in my top tier, and as is always the case, I had thought there was a completely worthy argument for him. I'm happy that he got it, and I'm assuming that almost everybody else in my top tier will not have gotten nearly as many votes. So I will be, I will be far angrier about that than I will be disappointed that Randle won it because he deserves it. Who, who did you have? So I, I had Embiid one. I think I had Randall two or three. No, I had Embiid one, Shea two, Randall three, Zach Levine four. All the same tier. So I would have been happy with any of them winning. Okay, we can go to Paul. Paul, you are on the air. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so maybe a bit of an abstract question here, but I'm curious how you analyze or uh, judge coaching from the regular season to the playoffs. And uh, I, I guess maybe the dilemma between, you know, you look at maybe your Quinn Snyders or your, your, your buds who have these maybe overperforming regular seasons with these great net ratings, but then don't have maybe like a fifth gear to go into come playoffs um do you do you credit them for always maybe having a team at that level or is there some sort of regular season mode that you'd have teams in so that come playoffs there's maybe another gear to go to or does it really just come down to if you don't have the best player that's kind of how the playoffs go yeah it's interesting i think we may be moving into a new era here because other than the nets obviously they could just be the outlier but there isn't really like a super team right now i mean even the lakers uh, with lebron and ad maybe they're a little bit injured you know maybe they could have been a super team you know we didn't really get see them play against a, another team with stars the clippers we thought they'd be a super team that's not really been the case either uh and all these teams don't really have any other way to get better they don't have like great supporting cast even the nets have like a massive weakness on their team you know this is we're not talking about the warriors or the heat big three so it does seem so much more wide open and you know if there were ever going to be a year that an ensemble type cast i even would think i kind of think of the bucks even as like an ensemble type of cast uh as well but uh yeah so i mean i, I think you could, maybe this is the year that it can happen as opposed to just having the best player and uh dave if you want to talk a little bit more about like i, I was just reacting to the last part of his statement if you want to talk a little bit more about what he's talking about the coaches well and it's funny because i thought what well, your your comments about how we're in kind of a new era that's that's actually part of the way i'm thinking about coaching too where the playoffs in the regular season being more different means that i evaluate coaches more differently between the two and the playoff the, the similarity is how you perform relative to your talent and because coaches you know they're they're especially if we're evaluating them solely as as coaches even if they do buy the groceries there's this is still them making the meal not them buying the groceries so 
Thibs being a terrible GM doesn't matter to him as a coach or Rock Divers or anything else. Um, and so for the playoffs, some of it is how good are you at making sure you find all the low-hanging fruit and do so early? So are you playing a scheme that makes sense with your personnel and the other team's personnel? Uh, and that's different for the regular season and the playoffs. And, and you know, so teams like like the Bucs with Budenholzer, like they've done a great job of that in the regular season, but sometimes they've been too rigid. And then the other part that kind of ties in with that, you know, you could talk about motivating players. I think of that as honestly more of a regular season coaching attribute than a playoff one because you better be trying in the playoffs, but also making sure that the right players are on the floor and in the right combinations. And so if somebody does those things right, that doesn't necessarily make them a great playoff coach because ad- adaptiveness and everything else is really important, but it avoids some of the biggest pitfalls. So if you have a cogent plan, if you can come up with something when you see what the other team does, I'm probably going to be on board. And the ones who can't adapt, I'm not going to be thrilled with. Yeah, I think there's kind of like three archetypes now. There's your straight up developmental guy, your Mark Dignall type of guy. There's your or all right get the this underperforming team to play better into the playoffs your nate mcmillan type of guy perhaps uh or you know tibbs would probably be in that category i would say also you know that works better with like young veterans who just uh, maybe have not been coached that well uh and then you've got your really kind of like high level uh playoff strategy guy but you know and there obviously there's that's a a vast oversimplification and the best coaches can succeed in all of those regards uh but you know i think like someone like brad stevens uh, he's kind of been at done most of those things right like steve Kerr, they haven't really succeeded in developing although i think you know some of the guys they developed like uh, the young veterans or jordan Poole, you know you should probably get a little bit more credit for getting those guys to succeed um so yeah they're just a a lot of different types of coach i think that's something that we've really come to understand more in the last like five or ten years that some coaches are good at some things some coaches are good at other things and there's also like the sort of like emotional component like manager type as well you can throw that into some degree right cool i appreciate you guys sharing your thoughts thanks thanks paul thanks paul uh let's move on to rob rob you were on the air hey rob good to have you on if he actually is there uh rob if you will we'll we'll try to catch you catch you again um let's go to spencer spencer you are on the air hey can you hear me all right we can oh great uh long time listener first time speaker um so my question is, if the Sixers do win the title this year uh, without, you know, your prototypical perimeter score, they kind of go against the prototype of what we have uh, come accustomed to for what playoff success uh, is. Would that make you rethink your uh, um, what what a, a playoff team or a team that's equipped for the playoff is? I, I, uh, I apologize. I know I worded that poorly. Hopefully I uh, translated or communicated my, my question well enough. I, I think you did. Um my answer would be preliminarily yes it would depend to an extent on like how they did it and the the analogy here might actually be to the lakers where the lakers a deserving champion as all as all champions are but they didn't really get a great team's best shot and so if they you know if and granted it might be injuries this year if they don't do it again then maybe maybe you're maybe you're thinking like okay they didn't do that but and the Sixers like there's a possibility of that because their first two opponents should be pretty soft and then it would take one or two impactful injuries that could that could kind of shift things enough um but generally speaking yeah and and I'm open to that I mean the the big man has been evolving and one of the concepts that Nate and I have bandied about for the last three years or so is that the death of the big man might have just been that there was 
there wasn't somebody who was good enough to do all of those things at a high level and that the the right the right player could change that that it's not orthodoxy forever it was just orthodoxy of the moment yeah and i mean five for quickly to jump in five years ago your all nba centers were like you know deandre jordan and marcus all was a, a good player certainly but uh and you know, there really was just like a pretty bad run there for about five years after dwight howard kind of fell off but now your all nba centers are nikola jokic and joel Embiid, right like that's that's just a different caliber of player you know having a center who's a legitimate mvp candidate uh we just haven't had those players really since dwight howard was in his prime and, and so the idea that a center could be the best player in a championship team that you can that they could be the instrumental guy defensively potentially be that offensively in a way that Jokic is and Embiid is and this, when the Sixers are at the rest yeah absolutely that could that could change it and there is also this element that I mean the word conservative is obviously means a lot of different things in a lot of different contexts but with a lot of different parts of evaluation for me I'm somebody who likes to see it first because it makes intuitive sense to me, but it also hasn't really happened. And as great as Anthony Davis was in last year's playoffs, they weren't winning that without LeBron being as ridiculous as he was. And I I am open to the possibility. I would be extremely excited by the possibility, by if by that happening. But until it does, I'm, you know, when we do top 10 players and all that type of stuff, I'm still going to be a little skeptical. Yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, and it could just be that it's so much easier to score now that even if you have a center, you can score better and you know, hey, defense doesn't matter that much. It's still really hard to stop people. I would say the first few games of the playoffs would show you that defense still matters a shitload. Uh, and we've had some pretty good defensive games, some slower pace games as well. But yeah, I mean, you know, the Nets are kind of, the Nets and the Clippers are kind of the teams you look at this year that you're like, okay, you can't really guard these guys with a conventional pick and roll defense, right? Like I think the Lakers, you probably can actually do them. Interestingly, we thought Miami could be one of those teams, but the Bucks have completely shut them down in the first two games. Uh, so that that's interesting to note as well. So yeah, I mean, if somebody other than the Nets or the Clippers wins it, or the Lakers by using Anthony Davis as just this all-court wrecking ball defensively, who's not playing you know a drop coverage type of defense, a conventional pick and roll defense all the time, beats one of those teams. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, if the Jazz win it, if the Sixers win it, uh, those if the bucks win it without you know we'll see maybe they they'll have to just go pj tucker and Giannis in this net series and that's how they beat them uh but yeah th- this could definitely challenge assumptions so it's a it's a very interesting uh exciting time right now and maybe it's also just worth noting that maybe there isn't a team that's the quality of the big three miami heat or those warriors or uh lebron's Cavs teams that's out there right now maybe there just isn't a team that's that good and so you can kind of you couldn't get away with playing a drop coverage against those teams but you can against the, the teams that are there now yeah that's totally plausible um i want to take one in the chat real quick here uh from jillian she asks i think she uh asks any scenario for the wizards young players to develop beal stays and they make one all capitals one huge signing slash trade like
like the Raptors with Kawhi to become serious contenders in the next five years. And I, I mean, two impediments to that. I mean, number one, as we were talking about earlier uh, with the Raptors, I mean, making that Kawhi trade seems really difficult. And, you know, Hollinger and I did this pod talking about all the players who are already up for extension who signed in 2019 and how we really predict there's not going to be a ton of player movement. Danny has talked about this too, how most of the players now have gotten to where they want to be. There isn't necessarily that next disgruntled superstar in the next couple of years. But then the other problem is just the, the problem of Russell Westbrook. And, you know, he's in decline and he makes a ton of money. They're out of first round pick uh, as well with him in the future, right? Like what, what did the Wizards have no, if, if that star comes available, number one, he'd have to come to Washington, want to come to Washington. Number two, they'd have to have the best package, which I don't see any possible way that they would. And then Russ, I mean, he is, you know, I think he still has a little bit of floor rating, raising capabilities, but he also is, you know, you got to play the Russ way. You, he's going to be bad on defense. He's not going to space the floor. He's got to control the ball all the time. Uh, he's really going to struggle in the playoffs against teams uh, where you just can't parade all the way to the rim and overpower you at this point in time. Uh, and so I, I think that those are the two real limiting factors that I see for Washington. So it's really got to be one of these young guys popping, which, uh, you know, maybe I would have actually said that as an on-ball guy, maybe Troy Brown was the most likely of those. That seems to have passed maybe it's Avdia if he gets some more chances going forward here I don't think Rui has the biggest upside so I I do think that they're pretty stuck in purgatory uh unfortunately Julian um you want to take a couple more here Danny see should we should we try a lightning round like actually limit ourselves to like 30 seconds per answer to see if we can get uh, all these? I think we, we we only have a couple of people oh, in okay, here, so okay. I think we'll just we'll just see, we'll see where the conversation goes but we'll start with Kenneth Kenneth you are on the air uh, hello can you guys hear me we can all right uh so just like spencer a uh, first time caller been listening for a while now so i just uh wanted to ask uh two quick things uh one is i think uh kelly uber is gone but what do you guys think is like a realistic uh like a realistic situation for him like sign in trade for a second round pick or maybe re-sign them or get an asset or two and second uh i know you guys did a like a prospect uh like great young prospects like yeah i was because i like uh jaw and lamello and with Cade coming up in this draft i was just curious on who you guys would at this moment would have as your top prospect out of them three or specifically uh jaw and lamello and yeah I'll, I'll take your guys question off here thank you um i'll on the draft thing first i think i haven't seen Cade, but he's it sounds like he's going to go number one a lot of people i trust say that he's going to be really good and it's just a, a wing type of player who can defend his position and pass and shoot i mean that just that type of player just has more value now i need to actually watch Cade and see whether i'm like a real believer in him and i'm a big believer in jaw and lamello uh, as well i think i had lamello number seven and jaw number three on my top 10 prospects under 23 when we did it a couple of months ago uh but i mean if Cade is what everyone says he is i probably would have him above them but i just i gotta watch the film to see whether i think that's actually going to be true um and danny what do you think about the the uber situation i i think that kenneth is right that the if if it's a sign and trade the asset price will be pretty poor actually the biggest thing the warriors would do get in that trade and might not even be them getting something back it could be them giving up a weak second to get a trade exception like that's one of the big things that the Warriors would want because then they could add somebody else makes their team super expensive but it's a tool to add somebody beyond the middle level exception I don't have a clear-cut like place where I think Kelly Oubre is a particularly great fit I wonder one that I've thought about a couple times even though they don't need another weird inconsistent shooter is Memphis like if basically they go it's not Justice Winslow we need somebody else like Oubre I'd, I'd want a bigger wing but 
it'd be interesting. I just don't have, I don't really have a clear spot where I'm like, oh, Kelly Oubre would make this team so much better. Yeah, I'm not sure what the team is that's going to bring him in as a starter and pay him $15 million per year on, on a long-term contract, you know, among these cap space type of teams. Um you know, maybe, maybe like, you know, a team like Toronto would say that they feel like they could continue to develop him or San Antonio maybe doesn't seem like much of a San Antonio personality. Uh, you know, the Knicks could always use like some wing help, but he's not really a great fit with RJ Barrett kind of at that two, three position. So, you know, he may find out that his market is more, uh, you know, if the Warriors are willing to pay him above the mid-level, now maybe there's a team that would just pay him the mid-level and bring him in, right? Maybe like a Portland or something like that. But to go above the mid-level with the cap space teams, unless, again, there's a sign and trade involved, you know, I just don't see a team that's going to be like, man, this guy is going to put us over the top uh, in in a way that like really is going to inspire us. Uh, but, you know, teams are always looking for wings too. So that could that could easily change. But as of right now, as I go through it, I'll, I'll have to think about it more seriously when we b- do a pod that we actually prepare for. Well, I think it's actually about time for us to get ready to prep for the, the night's games. Of course, we will record tonight and we will be back on Locker Room next week at our normal time. If not sooner, we'll have to see. You know, you, we keep an eye on our Twitters and everything else. But uh, thank you all so much for joining us.